Welcome to Strictly Anime, a podcast for anime reviews and discussions by casuals for casuals. My name is Courtney. And I am Carl. This is episode 47, and we're reviewing Words Bubble Up Like Soda Pop. As always, there'll be spoilers throughout this episode, so you've been warned. This movie is um, very much a summer movie. You don't say. <laughs> <laughs> Just everything about it screams summer. I mean, obviously, it's set in summer, but visually... It's just, I don't know, it just feels like a summer movie. And I think it was this movie where I realized, because the, I'm going to butcher this, but the, the Japanese title is Saida no Yo ni Kotoba ga Wakiagaru. Close, <laughs> <So> yeah. <laughs> how, how do you pronounce it? How would you pronounce it? Saida, yo, <laughs> Saida <laughs> now you're going to make me all, all stressed out here. Saida no Yo ni Kotoba ga Wakiagaru. Yeah, so I didn't realize, do the Japanese translate soda pop as cider maybe i actually don't know okay because obviously here in the states the way i view cider is like you know like apple cider or like a hard cider right <laughs> <laughs> so i i doubt the actual title of this movie is words bubble up like hard cider but <laughs> words bubble up like hard liquor <laughs> yeah <laughs> and uh, uh, to that point like cider is more of a like a fall drink so soda pop sounds much more appealing for something that is as you said, more summer oriented. Yeah. Well, we'll dive into that in just a second. I am really excited though for something else that's happening tonight as a recording, and that is the JoJo streaming event. Ooh. I don't know anything about it. I don't think anyone knows anything about it. I know that we got a couple of key visuals that were dropped. A few or days were they ago. leaked? I don't know. I think they might. My guess is they probably were leaked because it was some interesting Twitter accounts that started sharing it versus like the official jojo twitter yeah. account so my guess is they they were leaked but i don't know for certain either way i'm hyped though they look great yeah just even looking at the visuals from that twitter account which i think was called like unofficial shonen jump um like it shows jolene the the jojo for this part in the same colors that we saw in the first visual that was released along with the cast of characters and yeah, just getting to see that it does get you hyped for the upcoming season, and hopefully there will be an announcement at this event of whether or not they'll be releasing the anime this year. <laughs> High hopes. But yeah, that would be great. I don't think so, though. Yeah, it would be a far-fetched thing to ask for, but at the very least, maybe next year. Um, so, yeah, we'll see. As eager as I am to watch it, I'm fine with David Production taking whatever time they need to make sure that they do part six right, because they've gotten every other part spot on. And if you're a JoJo fan, please join us over at Strictly JoJo, our other podcast dedicated to JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, um, for our episodic review of JoJo. We're currently in part two, about a little over halfway through, right? I think we're close to the end now, almost like three-fourths of the way. Damn, so we're, we're far along. Um, when part six finally does premiere, we'll be doing weekly episode reviews live. Not live, but like as they roll out each week. Um, and depending on how this JoJo streaming event goes tonight, we could do maybe like a bonus episode for it to talk about it. Kind of like how we did for the JoJo Inherited Soul event. Um, if it's not a really intensive event there's not like a lot that they show um if they just maybe drop like a trailer or something we may do like a quick mini episode on our patreon for our patrons um, mm -hmm. to talk about it there either way we're hyped for it and as it gets closer we're going to be talking more and more about jojo 
So on to the main event, words bubble up like soda pop. This is another Netflix anime. And to me, I'm going to say it right out of the gate. It's yet another example of Netflix pumping out mediocre anime. Whoa, whoa, whoa. okay. <laughs> I'm just hold putting on, my stance out there right slow, away. <laughs> slow your roll. So it was, I'm just kind of doing like a little bit of research here. So I think it was released on Netflix, but I don't think they were involved directly in the production. Um, but I guess you you could compare it a little bit to the quality of other anime content on the streaming service. It's it's not terrible though. It's a I would say it's like a it's a cutesy summer fling movie, but nothing more. Yeah. Okay. Well, then fine. It's not a Netflix anime, but. It's a mediocre anime. <laughs> At least that part's accurate, I guess. I don't know. I don't know why I thought it was a Netflix anime. Didn't it say it in the uh, in the opening cards? Yeah, it did say it's an a it's a Netflix original movie, but I think it was just exclusive for the streaming. So they probably signed like a thing where they could exclusively stream it on um, Netflix. Kind of like I don't know, a Silent Voice. Like mm. wow, that's still on Netflix, even though I'm pretty sure. It said it was leaving Netflix. But um, did Asylum Voice say it was a Netflix anime? I guess not. See, if you're going to slap your name on it, whether you're part of the production or just part of the distribution, like I still feel like there's obviously a tie there. I mean, they're, they're making mm -hmm. it known there's a tie. So regardless of what that tie is, it's some sort of connection to Netflix and it's another mediocre anime. <laughs> well, I think the other side of the coin is, uh, it even said this in the titles, um, that it was the... 10th anniversary project for flying dog and i again i was doing a little bit of research so flying dog isn't a anime studio it's actually a record label oh. um so i think it was just to celebrate that record labels again they're, they're 10 years of being in business um because the animation studios that worked on this were sublimation and signal md which i think is a um, a related company to production IG. That makes sense then because it just felt like this was like, how do I describe it? This movie felt like it just played it safe and mm -hmm. it was just a very contained story um, and there wasn't like a ton of effort put into it. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to knock the movie and say it was, you know, a crapshoot. It was still good to a certain degree, but it didn't feel like there was the type of investment that you get from a, a bigger movie um or even if it's not a big movie just something that's more of like a, a true production mm -hmm. so i think that makes sense as to why this this anime comes across the way that it does like it has that somewhat just chill mediocre like it is what it is kind of <laughs> feel to you, it you're using mediocre i'm just right? gonna keep that like to me <laughs> yeah. that's the best way to describe it so, yeah i kind of view it almost like an like an indie film and yeah, i think okay. the the best way to to back that up is it the the movie has a very distinct visual aesthetic, right? It's not your typical, like, MAPA production. Um, it has, like, all these pastel colors and these really uniquely drawn characters, almost like they're a little bit like sketches. Um, and, you know, like, the story, like you said, it, it's nothing, like, crazy or epic. It's just a very simple love story. And I think... I'll kind of comment on this a little bit more later. Like they they do have the main love story, which you know it it's it's okay. But I think the way that they intertwined it with another love story involving a senior that's struggling to keep the memory of his departed loved one alive, I thought that was a little bit more intriguing. 
And I guess another positive is the movie has a better perspective on the more positive side of social media. Yeah, <laughs> that's very true. It's very like pro social media, which isn't a bad thing. Yeah. It just depends on the context, I guess. Yeah, because I think the the frame that a lot of the movie uses here in terms of social media is um, the, the app Curiosity, which is supposed to be like Twitter. And <laughs> I know Twitter can be like everyone's like just spewing the 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 shitty thoughts or like not <laughs> shitty thoughts but like just shit that comes out of people's like mouths sometimes brain diarrhea right? basically um but again this movie explores the the better side of of what twitter can be used for side note i didn't start using twitter until we started this podcast and we started our social media presence and holy shit like as soon as i i used the app and i started you know following like the anime um topic and then following like funimation and um anime trending and all that stuff and just i just was like this is a lot this is a mm -hmm. lot to take in as a new twitter user this is just intense there's something about like instagram um or instagram or instagram it's really all i use is instagram um that just has a different feel than twitter but twitter twitter can be like a lot it's very overwhelming so seeing it portrayed in this light i'm like i guess it could be that way but that's not my experience yeah and twitter is also very prone to spoiling things unfortunately Holy shit, yeah so i had to or we both had to discover kind of the hard way that you can have certain key terms or hashtags banned um from you from seeing it on your like your feed so aka attack on titan spoilers right and i feel like i've seen spoilers for um jojo or even my hero at certain points but yeah twitter is a very interesting social media platform compared to like instagram and facebook i think facebook is almost up there with twitter now but you know, all that aside Again, this movie just focuses on the, the nicer aspects of social media rather than people kind of going at each other's throats or shoving spoilers in your in your face. Well, to comment on your earlier points, I, I agree. This movie has a really bright and colorful colorful art style that I love. Um, almost has kind of like a cell shading feeling to it with like mm -hmm. bold lines. I just think back to like, you know, Wind Waker or uh, Skyward Sword or something like that. It has kind of that same feel. I don't know if, it, if cell shading is the correct term, though. I don't know. I don't know much about art styles. Uh, but it is aesthetically pleasing. It has chill as fuck music. Um, and the love story, to me, was was pretty good. It's, it's overall an easy watch. But the movie is just all right. Like, the movie was cute. But that that's about it. Mm -hmm. And I feel the strongest parts of or the strongest part of this movie is the soundtrack by far. The music's fantastic. Like I could listen to that all day long. The second strongest part is the art style. But arguably the most critical part of a good anime is the story. And that may have been, at least in my opinion, the weakest part of this film. It wasn't a terrible story, it was just the weakest part. And therefore mm -hmm. this this anime just didn't, or the movie didn't land for me. And I think that harkens back to this being, again, an anniversary project for a record label. Like, you kind of have to question what the purpose of this product is, whether it wants to sell this story or just be a celebration of this record label's, again, um, anniversary of being 10 years in business. And so I guess I didn't really look into the soundtrack, although, side note, the soundtrack... 
the score was combo- composed by Kensuke Ushio, who actually also did the score for A Silent Voice, which we reviewed quite some time ago. Um, so no surprise there that, you know, like the soundtrack in this is pretty top notch. Um, but yeah, I think with them or with us seeing that it has a better focus on music just tells you a lot about what they were aiming for. Yeah, I just I think knowing that again, it is understandable that this feels more like not an amateur production, but just like not a big scale production. Mm-hmm. And a good example of that are um, is the voice actor for Cherry. I, out of curiosity, I clicked on his um, Mal profile, and this is his only role. He has no information about him, at least on Mal, so it seems like he's brand new to the game. And he was born in 2005, so he's um, on the younger end. Uh, so I think either this is this could be like a breakthrough role for him, perhaps, or maybe a side project for him. But again, it that kind of ties into this just being a smaller production for, again, what you said, a, a record label. Well, I do have a little bit more info on him, but I can save that for later. Oh, why later? Um, well, just so for our discussion, because I was going to also just talk about the, the VA cast as a whole. Oh, I thought there was going to so, be some like big surprise. No, there's no something. big surprise. <laughs> I, like, I just have <laughs> just a little, like, a little more pieces of info on, on these uh, voice actors. Okay, well, I'm down. Let's jump into it. Yeah, so let's go ahead and dive into our synopsis and discussion for... Words bubble up like soda pop. And I think the way we'll do this is kind of like what we did with Weathering, or yeah, Weathering with You and A Silent Voice, where we'll kind of break the movie into parts and go into our discussion after each short synopsis. So to start, Words Bubble Up Like Soda Pop is a 2021 anime comedy drama romance film produced by Sublimation and Signal MD and directed by Kyohei Ishiguro, who is notable for directing the anime adaptation of Your Lie in April. The story follows Cherry Boy, a reclusive teenage haiku enthusiast working as a senior caregiver at a local mega mall in his mother's stead until their family's moving day, as he guides an elderly elderly Mr. Fujiyama back to the care center when the latter wanders off trying to find a lost vinyl record. Through some shoplifting antics caused by his reckless friend Beaver, He runs into Smile, a social media starlet who wears a mask to cover up the abomination that is her sandy cheeks buck teeth and inadvertently switches phones in the confusion. After they are returned to their original owners, off screen oddly enough, the pair cross paths again when Good Smile observes Cherry Boy struggle to openly share his haiku with the senior group during a mall outing. Good Smile encourages him to share his haikus on the internet where it will most likely be met with nothing but kind words from friendly strangers, and Cherry Boy acquiesces, which sets the beginning of a beautiful friendship. So to comment really quick on the voice ass- voice acting cast. Voice assing? <laughs> the voice assing. <laughs> the voice- Damn. <laughs> the voice acting cast, as I mentioned earlier. So the main, f- main male lead, uh, Cherry, um, is voiced by Ichikawa Somegoro. Um, as Courtney said, he was born in 2005, so he is a 16-year-old. Um, he's actually a kabuki actor. Oh. So I think this was his first and, to date, only voice acting role in an anime or anime film. So that's just a little piece of trivia for you there. Um, Smile is voiced by Hana Sugisaki, who I don't know if there's really any notable anime that she did. It's just a lot of smaller, um, not like relatively unknowns. Um, I really like her voice. 
it's mm-hmm. very soothing. Like she has a soft touch to her voice. Yeah. Um, or she she speaks in a very soft way, and I really enjoyed listening to to smile every time she spoke. So I was like, this is a nice voice actress. Yeah, and even the way that they um, designed her character, like just very cute, kawaii. And then <laughs> as soon as she pulls down the mask, you see the the two teeth protruding out. <laughs> just makes her kind of look squirrely, but again, smiles a wholesome character. Uh, Beaver, which actually the wiki for it spells their name as Bieber. I don't know if that like was... Justin Bieber. Yeah, I don't know if that was intentional. But so is Beaver a localization to not get slapped with some like lawsuit from Justin Bieber? Maybe. <laughs> um, that the VA for that character is Megumi Han, um, who uh, coincidentally was the voice of Kawaii in a silent voice. Um, the the classmate with the glasses. Oh uh, yeah, okay. Yeah, uh, Japan, which is that otaku employee at the mall. Um, he's voiced by Natsuki Hanae, who everyone should know as Tanjiro from Demon Slayer, or as Falco from Attack on Titan. So that's one of the bigger names um, in this cast for for the movie. Tough Boy is voiced by Yuichiro Umehara, who was the shamisen celebrity from those snow white notes which we are still working through and sniper mask from high rise invasion which oh wait who tough boy is that that voice actor yeah i love his voice when i when we watched high rise invasion i really enjoyed his voice because i think he's also um courier from akudama drive if anyone's watched uh, that he's got a really cool voice mm-hmm. i didn't realize that was him that he sounds very different yeah and the last notable uh voice actor in this cast is i think the father koichi or um, Cherry's father, Koichi, is voiced by Hiroshi Kamiya, who is Levi Ackerman from AOT, or more recently, um, Uramichi from Uramichi Onisan. That's interesting that he plays such a tiny part in this small production. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's just to get a little bit of star power. Yeah. He only had also... a few lines, so it's yeah. probably easy to just knock that <laughs> out of the Yeah, park. just easy money for him, too. And there are like other voice actors that are part of this production, but um, I think... Just to summarize about them, they're all singers or artists that were signed with Flying Dog. So again, I think they just wanted to tie in a promotion of their business um, with this movie. I really enjoyed this first third of the movie. Like th- this was the vibe I was expecting when I watched the trailer and saw the the key visuals. And it's just it's just nice. It's it's sweet. It matches the the soundtrack. Or the story matches the soundtrack. It matches the art style. Um, but after a little while, I was starting to think, like, what is the point? What is the goal? Um, because, like, about 25 minutes into the film, I was thinking to myself, like, what are we working towards right now? Like, it's a very slow buildup to nothing at this point. Um, and I actually started taking notes at that point to, to mark, you know, like, the, the time stamp. And it was, like, 25 minutes, I think, when you pause it. And I was like, man, we're already this far into an hour and a half movie. We're one third of the way in, and I don't know what's going on. Like, it just felt like we were just, I don't know, watching people live their lives. And that's Mm -hmm. fine, I guess. But if it's a movie, I'm like, when are we going to get the ball rolling? Yeah, it's a very slow burn in this first, I don't know if you call it a half, or the way that our synopsis is structured is almost like the first third and it's just establishing, you know, that Cherry is kind of reclusive, doesn't know how to really communicate with people, only has like 
his form of expression is through haikus and then you have the thing with um smile with her not wanting to show her face because of her buck teeth but yeah that, that kind of drag like after points like we get it and then you know they the weird thing is with the their initial encounter they they switch phones accidentally right and then eventually they find out like oh they were the ones who had each other's phones and then you the, the movie glosses over them exchanging it and just goes to the next scene yeah right? i didn't even catch the line where the girl said oh yeah we we got the phone back or whatever you had to tell me it was when they were in the restaurant mm-hmm. for some reason it went right over my head i'm like oh okay they already did that yeah and then from there again it just establishes that um cherry is socially inept when they take the seniors out um in the mall and um smile and her sisters are just secretly watching them but yeah th- at that point it was like there, there's not much happening in this movie and i know that that's also happened in like some other summer movies that i've watched outside of anime like if you remember the sandlot that's one summer movie that comes to mind where a lot of it nothing really happens in the first half until you get to the second half and maybe that was what they were trying to go for here but yeah a lot of this first half is just exposition and i'll talk a little bit about this i guess later on but i feel like there's so much time spent following these characters in this first part of the movie but i don't have any better understanding of the characters like i Mm -hmm. don't walk away from this first 25 minutes thinking like okay we spent all this time focusing on the characters and i feel like i have a good understanding of them i'm starting to get invested i did not feel that at all i was kind of like okay like we're just we're just doing things at this point really the only takeaway was exactly what you said that cherry and smile have their own self-confidence issues and they're starting to develop a a friendship like that to me that was pretty much all we got from that first third yeah, and I would say probably my favorite character out of this movie is Mr. Fujiyama. I mean, I think you you get more sense of his backstory, or like you feel more connected with him even in this first part, more so than with Cherry or with Smile. I love his character design. I love his hair. <laughs> I don't. I don't know who thought of that, like on his head, but the way his hair is is drawn is. So funny to me. He looks great. <laughs> yeah, kind of like a crazy Japanese Einstein. Yeah. <laughs> and just to comment a little bit more before we move forward on the animation and art style, we've talked about it. Like, again, it's very unique. I would say it's very abstract and creative when we, we see these opening shots and we get familiar with these characters. And the way I saw it is with it being kind of this abstract or creative feel, it sort of emulates like the expression in or like the expressiveness of like the haikus that come to Cherry's mind. Um, so there's a little bit of a connection there, and I would say in a way too, the colors almost evoke that that bubbly feeling from the movie title itself, words bubble up like soda pop. Um, and on the I guess sound side of like this, the creativity of this movie, like I said, it's composed by Kensuke Ushio. With the soundtrack that plays, you can kind of tell it's composed by him because it's very ethereal um, with the sounds and some of the simple tones. And the way I, the note I took here is it's sort of like it gives off that endless summer or retail shopping vibe, which is perfect. Retail shopping vibe. Right? Because <laughs> it takes place in this this shopping mall um, for the most part. And the last thing I'll say about the art style that I really loved is um, 
I feel like the, I saw the anime version of my Lola. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. My, my grandmother um, in this movie. And she recently passed away. So it was kind of interesting to see a character that looked like her in anime form. And I remember Snapchatting um, her image and sending it to my cousins. And they all had like the same reaction too. It did very much look like her. Yeah. Like it's almost almost as if they had like a picture of her and they just redrew that anime style. It probably did. <laughs> <laughs> she was uh, their uh, character model. <laughs> yeah. Inspiration. <laughs> Moving on to the second part of the movie. Good Smile takes up a job at the senior care center and the pair escort Mr. Fujiyama back home one day to discover that he runs a small record shop but has been focusing his efforts on finding a record containing a song written by his deceased wife, also a bucktooth bow, and yearns to listen to it once more to preserve her memory. The pair scour the record shop with their friends and leave empty-handed until Cherry Boy finds it wedged behind a refrigerator, recalling a similar situation as he was packing his shit together back home. Good Smile takes the opportunity to try and ask Cherry Boy to go see the fireworks at the upcoming Daruma Festival with her, but teenage sexual tension ensues, and Good Smile ends up breaking the record like an idiot. So halfway through the movie, or what felt like halfway through the movie, we get some sort of goal, which is helping Fujiyama find the Yamazakura record. And I'm confused here because I think we called this out when we were watching it. Fujiyama's daughter says that she never knew her mom was a singer, right? Because Cherry and Smile bring the record to her after they discover that, you know, they kind of do this like big circle, essentially. They start at Fujiyama and they're like, let's go find out who this person is. And they do this mm -hmm. big, long hunt only to come right back to Fujiyama, realizing that it's his wife. And yes, yeah, so Fujiyama's daughter says that she never knew her mom was a singer because she died shortly after giving birth to her, I believe. Yeah. And then like the next moment in the scene, she then says her father opened up this record store to sell her mother's music. Mm -hmm. And I was like, hang on a second. You just said that you <laughs> didn't know that your mother was a singer because she died shortly after giving birth. And apparently your father never bothered to mention that to you. So I'm a bit confused here. And I, I also kind of had like a, a moment of, of pause when they got back to Fujiyama's daughter and they showed her the record. She's like, oh, this is my mom. And in my head, I'm like, there's got to be more here because if you're telling me we just spent the last like 15 minutes on this wild goose chase just to give information that they already knew, I was going to be so pissed. But then she clarifies she didn't know her mom was a singer. So that was uh, that was fine. But still, she says that her dad opened up the music store to sell her mother's music. And I'm like, you just said you didn't know that your mom was a singer. Yeah, that was a bigger canon goof than star wars and like the relationship between darth vader and luke skywalker <laughs> um but yeah the whole thing with the daughter i feel like they didn't even need to have the daughter as a, a character i think they were trying to bridge that connection um between you know finding out that the record was mr uh, the singer of the record was mr fujiyama's wife but like you could have just had him explain all of that instead yeah, but instead they say that he can't remember shit and then he collapses out of nowhere. No, yeah. So let me take this. This is the, probably the best opportunity to talk about how I feel about the characters or the delivery of the characters because I just feel like even after spending, again, the first third of the movie following the characters, I know nothing about them. 
we've just been moving along, spending so much time um, without spending like enough time to get to know them and who they really are. Like all I know about Cherry is that he's shy and he uses his headphones like a turtle shell to hide from the world. Um, but then, you know, later on, he feels like he doesn't need them when he gets to know Smile and, and build some confidence. And all I know about Smile is she and her sisters get or they think they were popular when they were younger, um, especially her for her unique smile. And now she's some sort of influencer who's shy about her teeth and her braces. I know little to nothing about Beaver, Japan, Tough Boy or anyone else. And that includes Fujiyama. So I get that the goal is to find the record for Fujiyama. But I'm not compelled enough to care because I know nothing about this old man until we get to the record store and he tells us why he's holding on to the record jacket. But then after he tells us, he immediately collapses after telling them that he wants to hear the record one more time so he doesn't forget something important as if that's supposed to be enough to compel me. But it's like I I don't want to feel compelled by him just because he collapsed and he's an old man. I feel bad about that. It's I I want to feel compelled because I've gotten to know this character and I'm like, oh, he's a really sweet old man. He's goofy sometimes. He has a wonderful family and there's something that's missing in his life that he's trying to search for. But we don't get any of that. It's like told to us after this big reveal. And so then it's like, okay. I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, I, I'm just kind of left thinking like, all right, like I want to be more invested in his story and, and his yearning for, you know, memories of his wife, but it's hard to be. Um, I kind of have a different opinion here. And, and I think part of it is because, you know, with his story being connected to music, like I, I have an affinity for that kind of thing. Um, I think Mr. Fujiyama, his, his story is a little bit more compelling compared to uh, Cherry and uh, Smile story where you know it's Cherry and Smile are just trying to get through their flaws right but from the get-go we see Mr. Fujiyama holding this empty um, record sleeve and it just makes you wonder like what's the story behind that and then eventually we do get it and it's this very heart-wrenching one um, it's almost similar to a storyline in those Snow White notes I'm not gonna go into that too much but Oh, something about that, like, I connected with more because you, you kind of hear stories about, like, elderly people or even dementia patients who, like, once they hear the sound of, like, a certain song, they come alive and remember stuff from their youthful days. And that stuff like that warms my heart. So I think I found that m more compelling when they introduced this plot with, uh, rather than, like, Cherry and Smile's love story. Don't get me wrong. I agree. I know you're looking at me. I, I completely agree. I want to love this more than I do, but it's hard when you just throw it at me and say, okay, now you have to start being invested in this old man. Like he mm. had like very little screen time. I mean, he was on screen, right? But he had very little to do with the first third of the movie. They could have used a lot of that time to build more up about Fujiyama, show us who he is versus like this old guy who holds onto this record jacket and yells a lot and seems like totally senile. That's all I got from the first third of the movie. And then, I don't know, like, he gets really emotional at the record store and then just collapses. And he's, like, ill for, like, the next, you know, section of the movie. But that, again, him collapsing shouldn't be what starts to make me care about him. I should have already started to care about him earlier in the movie by learning more about him. I wish they spent a little more of that very dragged on first 25 minutes to show us more about him. Because um, they were setting it up to really feel like, the focus or some something about the goal of the movie was going to be around Smile and Cherry mm -hmm. because we spent so much time learning about them. But then it ends up the goal is more related to Fujiyama 
but we didn't we didn't get to know enough about him i don't know like it's 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 hard for me to um kind of get like, jump on this bandwagon just because of of where we're at when when we get the start of this part of the story i would say in that sense the story like the pacing of it and them trying to make these connections it's it's not as fleshed out as it should be like it, for me like i think the movie presented enough of mr fujiyama's character to feel invested because like yeah he collapsed um after dropping all the the plot on on cherry <laughs> and smile plot. but even before that again hearing his story like you already feel invested and and you I mean, hope for them to to find this record, but yeah, I think just the way I look at it is his story is a lot more compelling at this point than whatever they're trying to achieve with Cherry and Smile, because um, they, to your point earlier, they don't really develop a lot of these characters, and I don't think we really need to know a lot more about Beaver or Tough Boy or japan because they're just meant to be side characters honestly do we even need beaver and tough boy japan i get because he's got the records Mm -hmm. uh, or the record player and he understands how to use that stuff but like we don't even need beaver we don't even need tough boy Mm -hmm. (laughs) i I if they removed them from the movie i think it would be largely unchanged yeah but going back to what you're saying yes i i think the actual if you just break it down looking at fujiyama's story i think it is very very beautiful like once he i'm jumping jumping ahead a little bit but once he remembers his wife i think it's such a beautiful story um and i i love that moment where like the two of them are kissing and then she like stops for a second she's like and she holds her mouth because of her buck teeth mm-hmm. and she probably asked me like is this bothersome to you and then he kind of says or gestures that it's fine um and i think that's a really sweet moment and like, yeah their their story is really great i just i i think i became invested in i guess if i were to be invested in it would have been like halfway through already kind of going through the story versus like being invested from the the start of his story. Yeah, I think maybe just thinking on a higher level, if this movie instead focused on him as like the the, the main character and then have Cherry and Smile like as the side characters while like they have this journey um where they get over their flaws and have this building relationship. I think that would have been a little bit more of, a, of an effective movie. I completely agree. I think that if the movie focused on Fujiyama's goal of finding the record, and then I wouldn't say have Smile and Cherry. Like Smile and Cherry can still be the main characters, but I think mm. their love story should be a bonus to yeah. Fujiyama's love story because I, I like seeing the parallels of their love story with him and his wife. Especially because like his wife has buck teeth mm-hmm. and he didn't mind that, and Cherry uh, Smile has buck teeth and Cherry doesn't mind that. I think it's really really cute, but yeah, I think they they came in too hard on Cherry and Smile's relationship, and then suddenly did a flip to start focusing on Fujiyama, and then it was like, okay, so like, what am I supposed to be focusing right. on? What am I supposed to be invested in? But yeah, so I I completely agree. I think if it was like um just like you see Cherry and Smile's romance develop as like a something that happens alongside Fujiyama's story that would have mm-hmm. been a much better way to execute this this plot yeah because even they kind of gloss over their friendship i know there was like a montage earlier where they put their life like daily life side to side where i think um Cher- cherry's watching some of her live streams and smile was looking at um i don't know what they call them like the tweets uh, of his yeah, haikus, the cher- yeah cherry's tweets of his haikus and I mean, yeah, it, it 
as an audience member, you 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 can see like okay, they they're developing a relationship, but you know they could have invested a little bit more time into that with this movie. Yeah, I think it's trying to balance things um, incorrectly. They're, they're yeah. focusing in the wrong on the wrong things at the wrong times, and that's why things didn't kind of pan out. So let me just pause here because I know I'm I'm kind of talking less favorably about this movie, and I feel like it's mediocre. I think it does have potential, and I think if if they took this this story and reworked it, it could have been much much better. I, I do want to just clarify, like. Overall, I enjoyed this movie. I, I do not regret watching it, mm-hmm. but I wouldn't feel compelled to watch it again. Um, if they came out with like a rework or something where they balance things out better, then yeah, for sure, I'd, I'd give it another go. Um, but moving on with the actual, the, this second part of the story, the record really was behind the fucking fridge, wasn't it? They really mm-hmm. pulled that one on us. I was like, man, <laughs> what, a, what an underwhelming thing. Like, I liked it because it's very realistic. Right, like how many times have you dropped like shit? Not you, but like in general, people have dropped shit behind a, a I don't know, like a table, not a table, like a couch or like a dresser or something, and you don't find it until you move that piece of furniture. That happens, right? Mm-hmm. But with all the buildup that we got, I was kind of like, mm, really, it's a little underwhelming for finding the record when they spent all this fucking time searching throughout the record store, and before that, spending all this time digging up information that was already like housed in Fujiyama's store it was just locked behind his brain because he couldn't remember <laughs> and for some reason never told his daughter either yeah and I know it, like the the movie kind of sets you up for that reveal because um see, I always confuse who's smiling who's cherry cherry's the the male <laughs> I know because I think initially we think like cherry is a girl's R- name right but yeah it's cherry I do want to say it was so funny in the beginning when he called when uh, Fujiyama said cherry boy because that just means like a like a male version, basically, mm-hmm. like a an inex, sexually inexperienced young man. Um, and I learned that through Gintama. <laughs> so yeah. when he called him Cherry Boy, I was like, "Damn, they really they threw that one out there, huh?" <laughs> yeah, I feel like that it's a tongue in cheek reference um, with giving Cherry that that name. And I like I also noticed that a lot of the their names are just they're not even real names; like, they're, they're just, just nicknames. nicknames. Cherry yeah. Smile, Beaver Japan, Tough Boy. Um, what was I saying? Oh. So I know like the movie just sets you up for that reveal because Cherry finds that haiku monthly magazine or whatever behind his shelf as he's moving stuff. But yeah, it was kind of like a, a almost like a cheap reveal until we find like the actual reveal um, at the senior care center with the clock, which, you know, like there were, I recall early in the movie, there were significant shots of the clock and you don't really think of it. And then they find the record here and they flip to the back and front and you don't realize the connection between the picture on the back of the record and the clock. So I thought that was a that was a nice reveal. But this one with finding it behind the fridge was like, okay. I agree, but also disagree. I, I do like the oh shit moment with the clock reveal. But then part of me is like, are you fucking kidding me? Like if someone just realized that earlier, then this whole thing would have been like finished earlier because well no one reads clocks no one knows how to read (laughs) clocks anymore Fujiyama's walking around with this this record jacket for who knows how long and it was just up there on the wall the whole time and it like it was I don't know I I love it but I also disliked it at the same time like I don't know how I'm kind of on the fence like if I look at it one way I think yeah that is kind of a clever reveal and we we were hinted at it the whole time but you know like the characters we didn't realize it but then part of me is like it was just on the fucking wall the whole time. He was right there. Like the, the record was right there every day that he was there looking for it. 
Well, they didn't even know that the record had a picture on the back. So even if if they saw that as a record, they wouldn't know it was the real record. And you couldn't ask Mr. Fujiyama because he has terrible memory. True. Very true. So then Smile breaks the record and feels bad. And I'm going to go back to the mm. whole character investment piece. I know you were squirming. Like the whole time she's holding the record, you're like, she's going to break it. She's going to break yeah. it. She's going to break it. The musician in me was <laughs> screaming. <laughs> but again, like my take is that as the audience, we feel no real gravity to the situation because we're not invested in these characters. We're not familiar enough with them. So it just doesn't hit as hard. Don't get me wrong. I, I feel to a certain degree, right? Like, that fucking sucks. All that time spent finding something that you just end up breaking anyway. Um, but we never see any of the characters' reactions to her breaking the record, besides her own. We don't even see Cherry's reaction because they cut right before he realizes what's going on. Um, and I don't know, like, I think the reason I don't feel as much gravity to this is because we're not shown that Fujiyama's wife is important to him. Um, and that's why breaking the record was so bad, but or no, we're, yeah, we're not showing it. We're more so like told it throughout this part of the story. We don't get the actual showing of it until the very end when he hears the song mm-hmm. and gets all the, the memories flooding back to him, which is fine. I don't mind that they did that because I think it made the actual memories part more special, but it took away from, again, the gravity of the, the situation with Cherry, uh, Cherry, with Smile breaking the record. Um, And again, like, it doesn't matter anyway because there was another fucking record on the wall. So it's all good, guys. It's all good. Yeah, I can see that. But still, it was was a shock to me because, you know, as much as you've been saying, like, we're not invested in Mr. Fujiyama's story enough, just knowing that this is his only connection so far to something with his past and then smile just carelessly breaks it and tries (laughs) to, again, the stupidest thing you could do with a record is if you see it, like warped or whatever you try to force it down to to straighten it out and god i was scoring <laughs> because i was like you're gonna fucking crack this thing and that's gonna be the end of it so i think that was what was more shocking to me again if it weren't for really establishing that connection between him and his wife just the fact that you destroyed this this vintage piece of like treasure basically (laughs) like i think in any situation like if you if your own um grandparents or like older guardian had something that they really cared about and then it just broke yeah like like putting yourself in that shoes like i i would feel for for that guy wait okay speaking of the record i think i just realized another plot hole um and maybe a big one so the record jacket on the front just says Yamazakura. Mm-hmm. But on the back it has that picture of Fujiyama's wife in front of the cell tower. Not the cell tower, but you know what I mean? The yeah, the radio. Radio tower. tower. Um, thank you. Yeah. And I was uh, to me how do, how do I describe this? So to me I don't understand how um Fujiyama's daughter sees the picture Mm-hmm. that smile takes when they go visit the radio tower of her mom and then she says oh yeah that's my mom and i never knew she was a singer mm-hmm. but then wouldn't she already have known a long time ago that what he was looking for was a record that was by his mom therefore she is a singer by just looking at the back of the record jacket that he constantly carries around yeah. with him Right? Like, shouldn't she just flip that thing over and say, oh, shit, that's my mom. Is this her record? Is she a singer? 
So unless you like never saw it because you never let go of it, is that not a plot hole? Yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> unless he's, he's he was always clutching the record, uh, but sleep po- close to his chest. At some point, right? Like, I'm sure she would have seen it. Mm-hmm. I'm sure she would have seen it. Like, so to me, that's another plot hole. And the reason I thought of that was because maybe I would have felt a little more com- like compelled behind Fujiyama's story and um, felt more invested in like his relationship with his wife if we saw even just like a picture of the two of them together but we saw like nothing which i understand why because if we had a picture of the two of them together then cherry and smile would have immediately been like oh that's your wife and she's on this record jacket mm-hmm. mystery solved or um, at least just not even show the face just you could have shown like the back of her head yeah you know, like that's a i know that's a trope in a lot of things like the big reveal of what a person looks like yeah um, but just like give me something yeah. so that way again like when when smile breaks the record and stuff like i feel more like oh shit that that's really important to him and i feel like the story is riding on the the hopes that just hearing that their husband and wife will get us as the audience to be like oh this is really important but like i don't know what their relationship is like i don't know if they were happy or not so i think just having some sort of visual confirmation that they were a happy couple again would have helped me just move along with the story you know a little bit better anyway Moving on from that, you know, I keep bringing it up, but (laughs) (laughs) I'm just trying to like rationalize why I feel the way I feel about this. Even though it's a beautiful love story, I just, something about the delivery didn't get me on board. Yeah, I think it's just the the pacing of the story or that particular love story could have been fleshed out better and probably brought up across the course of the movie rather than getting the dump um, at the climax. Speaking of the climax for the third part of the movie... The pair begin falling out after the incident as Good Smile learns at the last minute that Cherry Boy is moving on the day of the festival. But though everything seems bleak, one of the senior care staff discovers that the clock in their facility is another copy of the long-lost record, and Good Smile puts together an anime scheme where Cherry Boy hears the song played over the senior's festival dance via Smile's livestream, and we get an anime version of the Carl and Ellie sequence from Pixar's Up. In true anime romance film fashion, Cherry Boy gets out of the moving day caravan and runs all the way back to the mall where he gets over his fear of public speaking and finally confesses his love for Good Smile in haiku form. She in turn removes her mask and that's it. Kidding, the pair seemingly seal the deal in a post credit scene showing their silhouettes against the fireworks. Hopefully something else doesn't bubble up like soda pop in Cherry Boy's mouth. <laughs> um, okay. yeah, like Stan in South Park. Yeah. Wendy. <laughs> um, I have a question. Um, p- potentially, maybe not like a plot hole, but like a a plot piece that I think was overlooked. So when they have their falling out, Smile. Oh, before that, Smile asks Cherry to see the fireworks with her, and he doesn't get a chance to respond because he gets interrupted. But then later on, when they're kind of having their falling out, she says, you told me we'd see the fireworks together. Yeah. Like, did he? He didn't. He no. Unless like, something happened off screen. I'm like, he never said he was going to do that. And so I was like, wait a minute, huh? And, and yeah, we, then the, the scene goes on and they have their falling out and stuff because he didn't tell her he was moving and they stopped talking to each other. Um, but yeah, I was, I was confused by that little part. And it could be very, very minor. But in my head, I'm like, that never happened from what we saw. Yeah, I just remember he responded with I, and then something happened where he had to go somewhere else. I think Japan called out to them, like, hurry up, I want to listen to this oh, record already. Yeah. And then, like, she started squealing after that, implying that she thought he said yes. 
but yeah. you know, as the audience we don't we don't know what that means i mean unless that's like a from like a japanese perspective like the way he responded sounded similar to saying yes maybe like a casual way of saying yes but mm-hmm. the translation to english did not insinuate that at all so that's why i was like yeah i was wondering that too I'm like, why is she squealing i thought she was squealing just because she was like proud of herself for asking him because she's yeah maybe shy about it but i don't know i was confused by that i took it as like she was just super embarrassed and you know like some people will just make guttural noises when they do something <laughs> embarrassing. But yeah, apparently she thought he said yes. And that wasn't the case, as we learned. Yeah. I mean, I was sad that they had their falling out. But again, as I keep mentioning it, I wasn't invested enough in their relationship to feel the gravity of them being at odds with each other. I was mm-hmm. just like, oh, okay, well, that that sucks, I guess. But to, to me, they feel like like very new in their friendship still. Um, and I shouldn't feel that way by this point in the movie. I should feel like they have a strong connection, but I just don't. So I was like, well, yeah. that sucks. He's going to lose a friend, but you got to move, I guess. You know, parents decided already. So that's that. This is a summer fling. <laughs> I'm going to jump ahead a little bit. Um, unless you have something you want to add. I'm, I'm talking like the end end where he's in the car. I don't know if you want to talk about anything before that. Um, No, not really. We talked about the record hiding in plain sight as the clock and it's funny that you uh, mr fujiyama just takes out the clock portion of of the record and then it's still intact like i'm sure that thing was glued down like you can't just rip off the battery and the, the well uh, i think it's like a snap thing. probably a snap-in oh um, i think i've okay. seen those before like i think that was a thing when records were a thing is like you could actually make it into like a, a clock mm-hmm from like recalling like a very distant memory okay because you know we're, we're talking so much about being careful with these records and he just rips that shit <laughs> off <laughs> um yeah I, again i thought that was a better reveal of again finding the long lost record um it wasn't it didn't feel like as convenient as the the first reveal because there was a little bit of backstory into how it could have ended up on the wall because I think there's enough exposition in the film implying that the mall used to be a record pressing plant. So, um, but yeah, we already mentioned the record. Uh, I noticed a lot, especially with the festival, that there's this motif of the Daruma, the, the doll, um, appear a lot in this movie, alongside the whole thing with um, the Yamazakura, which is apparently like a, um, a description for people who have like buck teeth. So, Daruma, as I understand, it's a doll that symbolizes, like, perseverance or luck, right? Yes, I believe so. Um, which, you know, that, I guess, you know, to, to look into a high level, it fits into cherries or smiles, perseverance, to open up to each other and rise above their respective flaws. And I think the Daruma also represents, especially, like, you mentioned before, like, with the eyes, filling in the eyes, it's kind of like representing a goal that you want to fulfill or like a wish that you want to fulfill yes yeah and you know the way i tied that in here is like fujiyama's wish to hear his wife's voice one more time so i think seeing the uh daruma peppered out throughout the movie kind of reinforces these these story points um speaking of the yamazakura theme do you know, fun fact, I was a Yamazakura when I was a kid. That's why I had braces. 
So basically, I uh, <laughs> I guess when I was like a toddler, I always sucked my thumb, and that caused my front teeth to push outward when I when they started to come in. And then in junior high, I got braces to push my Yamazakura teeth back. Into Is that what you called it position. too? Like these are my Yamazakura. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I had braces because I had buck teeth. Hmm. And then I got them off when my buck teeth were pushed back into my face. Very nice. And now I don't have buck teeth. <laughs> don't worry. <laughs> that's yeah. my story. <laughs> the lesson here is like you grow out of your buck teeth. <laughs> Except for maybe Fujiyama's wife <laughs> yeah. and for Smile. <laughs> and, I, you know, speaking of Yamazakura, um, just wanted to briefly talk about the song during, again, the, the Carl and Ellie memory at the climax. So. The song, obviously, we know from the record, Slave is called Yamazakura. It was sung by Taiko Onuki, who is a singer-songwriter who says here on our wiki was very influential in the city pop genre, which I know you kind of love, like that Showa era um, 80s song Hell vibe. Yeah. Which, this is an aside, but I would love to see a movie that kind of focuses on those songs. Cause, that shit's a vibe. Yeah. Um Naming some of the songs, like, Will It Stay With Me? Um, Remember Summer Days, which you love. Yeah. Like, if there were a movie that involves, again, city pop or Showa-era tunes, that would be great. Um, But with this song, it evokes that early 60s kind of acoustic sound, which makes sense because that's when uh, Mr. Fujiyama met his wife. Kind of sounds like the Carpenters or James Taylor, with anyone's familiar with those bands. Or with those artists. Um, and, you know, the lyrics are about two lovers meeting by fate and finding the words or song within themselves to express their love for each other. So it's supposed to be, I'm sure, paralleled with what Cherry and Smile are going through. And you assume that's what happened with um, with the Fujiyama couple. So just a little bit of trivia there in regards to the song. I... I do want to call out again that that scene where uh, Cherry is in the car basically starting to move um, with him and his parents. I I didn't get like the whole – so I get why they painted a bunch of road signs to match his haiku. But to me, like it just felt so over the top. Like I'd rather have Smile directly contact him instead of being super indirect and using her channel to live stream the song in the hopes that he'll watch. I mean, he did, so mm-hmm. they looked out there, but he may not have watched. And like they're they're almost like too confident that he's going to tune in and watch. So I think it would have been more personal for Smile to have some sort of direct contact with him, not to just outright say, hey, come back here, we're going to play the song, but just something cute where the two of them are connecting versus these characters that are almost throwaway characters that we know nothing about, painting road signs. And I'm like, how did you have enough time to do that? How did you even know where he was located? Unless mm-hmm. he like shared his location with you. How did you know he was going to be driving down that street yeah, at that moment? Anticipate the path of the caravan. Yeah, and like, do you know how far apart road signs are? Like they're <laughs> at least here in in the states, like they are super far apart. Mm-hmm. So for them to find enough road signs for the entire haiku to fit, those kids must have been like walking for or running for a while. Yeah, that's seventeen signs, right? If you go by yeah. the syllables. <laughs> and usually there's like signs every like a couple signs every mile. So I don't know. It just I don't know, it just felt like a an odd way to to get him to come back to the festival and it felt forced like a, a 
a forced way to give those super minor characters some some more screen time. Also thinking about it, and this is kind of unrelated to this plot, but we've, or the movie's established that she is a social media influencer. So if any of her followers were to know that she has a love interest, like that could have been a whole thing in itself, right? But, you know, the movie kind of glosses over that to focus more on their flaws. Um, The one thing that was just funny about this, this part and I mentioned this in the synopsis, is the, the trope of the protagonist running to his love. You called it before it even happened. Yeah. Like, I bet he's going to start running. <laughs> like, why is this a thing? Not just in this movie, but we've seen it in, maybe this is minor spoilers, but we've seen it in Your Name. We've seen it in Weathering With You. We've seen it in a silent voice. <laughs> I've seen it in a live-action um, Japanese film called Train Man. Like... <laughs> Is this what the Japanese think are is like just very romantic seeing someone chase after their love? Yeah, probably. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> man, like I feel like you could put this in a, a drinking game for a an anime film. It's like protagonist running after his love interest. Yeah, well, he finally makes it there and then mm-hmm. starts spewing out his haikus, which I want to comment on. So, teeing up to that, this movie overall feels super slow. Again, case in point, the first 25 minutes, like, nothing happens. Nothing significant happens. It makes sense that the pacing would be on the slower side to give this movie a more gentle and relaxing feel. But it is really slow at times. And some, like, it has some, like, really long lingering shots or moments. For example, one of the ones that actually felt a little frustrating was at the end when Cherry, again, is finally using his voice and saying his haikus out loud. It's a great scene. It's a very touching moment but they drag that shit on a bit too mm-hmm. long at the very end of it and he's saying all these things he likes about smile and i'm like okay I, it's cute but i get it already like yeah. he could have cut several of those haikus out and i think it would have felt better timed but he keeps going and i'm like okay, he's gonna stop after this one and then he keeps going and going and i'm like man just wrap it up kid just go <laughs> go kiss your new girlfriend but I also thought, poor kid, because everyone turns around and fucking ignores him in the middle of him saying his haikus because of the fireworks start. Like, way to give him some mad shade when he's drumming up the courage to do this. It gives him and Smile a more private moment, I guess. Mm-hmm. But it just felt kind of rude. Yeah, <laughs> I thought it was just funny. But, I mean, like I said, the only person that really needed to listen to it was Smile. Um, for him just rambling, I think that's probably just an effect of, you know, you, you get so much confidence to do something that terrifies you that you just run with it. (laughs) So it's him just spewing it. And, you know, with the whole, the title of the movie being words bubble up like soda pop, I think it, that's what happens here. Like he has all of these emotions that are just bottled up in him, um, that he wants to express the smile that he does it in the best format he can which is expressing it through haiku that's true okay hearing it like explained like that yes okay that makes it feel a little more understandable to me it doesn't get me to feel less frustrated about it Mm kind of like all right like i don't need to hear more no yeah i I was getting like just get on (laughs) with it kid yeah (laughs) but it does help me to understand it a little bit better Mm -hmm. so i appreciate that yeah um you know, with reaching the end of the movie, I thought I wrote the note as like, there's no real conflict here, right? There's just there's just a communication issue between the both of them. 
They, yeah. Like, their love was never really put to the test besides, you know, them not talking to each other about, or um, Cherry not talking to Smile about moving. Honestly, you bring up a great point because I think the actual conflict would come after the final scene of the movie because they never address the fact that Cherry is still moving. Yeah. He's still going to move even though like he's confessed his love for this girl. Like his parents are literally waiting on the side of the fucking highway a couple miles down the road. Mm -hmm. You're going to move. There's no turning back now. Your house is probably empty by now. Yeah. Unless they establish a long distance relationship, which I think it's kind of nice in the post credits that you see their silhouettes. It looks like they're kissing in the fireworks because it gives you closure like, okay, like they're in love or whatever. But yeah, this is basically summer loving like in greece yeah (laughs) like you're you're gonna eventually have to just come face the facts again unless there's a sequel where they reestablish the love here but i doubt there will be a sequel to this movie so i just have to say um when it comes to going back to like the the balance of of the parts of the story I feel like they should have focused more on the romance and the theme of finding Mm self-confidence because there was so much other stuff going on, um, namely the Fujiyama storyline, that it made the plot lines for the romance and self-confidence pieces feel slightly disjointed. Um, We kept moving away from them and then revisiting them instead of those things being present throughout the entire movie to the point where I get that Cherry's relationship with Smile helped him gain self-confidence and that's symbolized by him taking off his headphones. But I'm left feeling like, I'm left wondering how. How did that happen? How did he gain confidence by being around Smile? Like, I just don't mm-hmm. understand ex- like specifically what gave him that confidence. Was it just because he made a friend and that, you know, he's talking to a girl? Or was, I, I feel like there could have been something more to that that really kind of triggers him building this self-confidence. Her saying more about, like, you have a great voice and your haikus are really awesome. But it just it just felt like suddenly he was confident and suddenly he stopped wearing his headphones. In fact, I didn't even realize he stopped wearing his headphones until Smile said it in the movie. Yeah, I think they should have focused more on developing their relationship. But it seemed like they really were laser focused on, no pun intended, or no, uh, vinyl's not laser. No, I was thinking vinyl was like uh, it read by laser, but I'm thinking laser disc. Oh, yeah. But. Anyway, so the movie was just so laser focused on this whole record storyline that you only really get pepper pepperings of the actual connection between the two characters. Um, and it's a bit frustrating because the trailer was, I guess, misleading to a certain degree mm-hmm. um, when it made it feel like this was going to be a straightforward boy meets girl romance anime. And then all this other stuff was in the middle that felt kind of unexpected and just didn't flow well. And again, going back to what you had suggested, if they had focused more on the Fujiyama story being the the focal point and then had the romance kind of be a a subsequent part of that, I think that would have been a better way to do it. Yeah. But overall, these characters left no impression on me. Again, because they are just there, but there's not enough like investment into who they are and how they impact each other. I, if I were to think about this movie in the future, I'd probably recall the art style and the music before any of the characters or the story. Mm-hmm. I didn't find a single character that I was like, that's my favorite character. Um, even some other mediocre or even bad anime that I've watched, there's still a character or two that leave an impression on me 
that where I can say like, yeah, this this thing sucks, <laughs> but I like this character at least. Not the case with this movie. I, I think the characters are sweet and they were fun to watch, but I'm not like, like on like I don't know. I can't find myself siding with with one or the other. Not not that they're on sides, but you know, like I'm not like Team Cherry or Team Smile or whatever. I just I think they're fine. They're just there. I'm Team Fujiyama. As okay, I've that's been, fine. <laughs> as I've been emphasizing throughout this review um I think, yeah that's just the downfall of this movie is like you you can't really connect with anyone besides me again i connect with the the story between mr fujiyama and his wife but yeah it, i don't know like the love is just lukewarm <laughs> that's, yeah. a, that's the best way i can describe it i do want to re-emphasize that i did still enjoy this movie bottom line it was a pleasant watch. It would be good to put on when you just need to relax or decompress. And I wasn't annoyed or frustrated by the movie or the storyline. But if I have to think critically for the sake of this review, I can't deny these flaws. And I can't deny the the odd you know, pacing and just the delivery of characters and the story and everything. So I, I know I, I bash on the movie a little bit. A little bit. <laughs> a little bit more than like I probably should in this review, but I'm just, I'm being honest, right? Like I'm being critical about what I watched um, and I, I don't regret watching it, but I probably wouldn't watch it again unless someone put it on. I just happened to be in the room. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not a terrible movie. It's just... I think the way that I'm thinking about it now, it's it's kind of like those Asian commercials where it tugs at your heartstrings, right? Yeah. They're just very simple stories that, yeah, they're they're nice and they give you, it's like fluffy feelings, but it's never really developed past that point. It just is what it is. Like, it's just there. This movie yeah. is just there. Like and a that's soda fine. pop commercial. <laughs> <laughs> And so it seems like we have a lot of thoughts bubbling up. So let's go into our <laughs> final thoughts for words bubble up like soda pop. So how many heartbroken records out of 10 would you give this film? I gave it a 6 out of 10, which is a low enough score to match the flaws that I you know, noticed in this movie. But I think it's a high enough score to not make it seem like I hated the movie. Um, and I know for some people, six is like super low, like this is a, a detrimental score. It's not, you know, you're talking about a 10 point scale, five being like middle of the road, totally average, like true mediocre, bland type of anime. I gave it a six because I thought about giving it a five, but then I felt like I still enjoyed it enough where it wouldn't be fair for me to give it a five. Like mm-hmm. I, 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 I do not again, regret watching the movie. And when I was in it i was like yeah this is fine this is nice and i can't deny that it has fantastic art style and and a fantastic story i'm sorry not a fantastic story (laughs) a fantastic soundtrack yeah hold up (laughs) um so yeah i thought that six was a a perfect score for how i felt about everything holistically what about you yeah my score is not too far off i gave it a seven out of ten yeah it's just a simple feel-good teenage romance film it doesn't do anything groundbreaking. And I think I mentioned in our summer impressions that I thought it was going to be intensely music focused. Well, that wasn't really the case um, because it was just focused on the record thing. But I think I, I enjoyed the storyline with the record. It's just, again, Cherry and Smile's relationship wasn't as developed as I'd hoped. It still gives you warm, fuzzy feelings, 
but that's it. Like, I don't find myself really rooting for them at any, like, by the end. I was just kind of content that they made up and, you know, they were able to establish a relationship even though the guy's still fucking moving. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I maybe, like, the intention wasn't for this movie to be something like a Your Name or a Silent Voice, but if you're someone that's really into warm, fuzzy feelings, like you said, just wanting to decompress and find something that gives you positive feelings and this will hit the spot um again it has a very muted message about love but i would say the message is twofold like just loving yourself for all your flaws as you can see with cherry and smiles characters and just learning to express the love in the ways that are most meaningful for you so that your feelings don't bubble up like soda pop yeah life is cider i know i I wish they would have focused either more on the Fujiyama love story or more on the self-confidence pieces. Mm-hmm. I think they had two good things going and then they tried to do them both and they just couldn't strike that balance. Yeah. And just to sum up and to go along with the theme of the movie, I wrote a haiku review. Oh, shit. <laughs> kind of like the kind of funny haiku and review oh, yeah. for, um, for their listeners with their tweets. So mine is a feel-good movie nothing groundbreaking at all where's the soda pop oh yeah was there soda pop at all no Ooh, <laughs> another plot <It> hole <laughs> yeah why why would you call this soda uh or yeah words bubble up like soda pop i don't think anyone drank anything in this movie yeah like, i guess it's not a plot hole but missed opportunity for sure mm-hmm and that wraps up episode 47 of Strictly Anime. If you enjoy the podcast and would like to support the show, then head over to patreon.com slash strictly series and subscribe on your favorite podcast streaming service so you can be notified when new episodes premiere every Monday. Follow us on Instagram at the Strictly Series and on Twitter at Strictly Series and connect with us there or on our website, thestrictlyseries.com to share your thoughts on the anime we review. You'll also find more info on Strictly Jojo, our other podcast dedicated to Jojo's Bizarre Adventure. Thank you so much for listening, and as always, stay safe, stay healthy, stay weeb.